All right, we are going to be in the book of Colossians this evening, Colossians chapter number three, Colossians chapter number three. When I put the title together, I didn't realize it could actually have two different meanings, the way you emphasized it. All we are in Christ. That would be great if we should all be in Christ, but it's actually all we, all we are in Christ. All we are in Christ. Maybe there's a comma missing that. I'm sorry, I'm not a grammar expert, so, but it's all we are in Christ. I'm going to read from verse number one in Colossians all the way down to verse number 17. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the time that we can take to study your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us, bless the teaching of your word. Lord, help us to just know you in a more personal way. Lord, that the things that we hear tonight and the things that we learn, Lord, may it impact our hearts and change us and drive us and stir our hearts to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Powerful passage of Scripture speaking and focusing on Jesus Christ. All we are in Christ. You know, sometimes I think we don't fully grasp everything that we are in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, as, as Christians, sometimes I think we live, um, because we live with one eye, on, one eye in the world, one foot in the world, and one foot in our church, that sometimes we lose sight and miss out on all that we are and all that we can be in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He desires so much for us. He desires to do abundant, exceeding abundant, beyond anything we can imagine. And yet sometimes we don't grasp that promise and understand it, and we lose out on so many things that God desires to do for us. Let me give you a little bit of background 
the book of Colossians is it's really going to help us understand as we go through this passage, it's going to help us understand in the context of which Paul is writing this. The church at, Col at, at Colossae, the Colossian church, had a problem. And the problem was that false teachers had crept in. Now, it's kind of funny because, you know, we look and as we go through this passage, you're going to see that. But there are things that we see happening in our world today. Things that we see happening in the name of Christ. Things that we see happening in the name of Christianity. Things that are happening in the world, forget Christianity, just happening in the world, that we sit in amazement and astonishment and say, I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime. I never thought I would actually say those words 20 years ago. But I am astonished at the things that are going on today. But you're going to see, as the Bible clearly tells us, there is nothing new under the sun. And when we look at what was going on in the church at Colossae, we, can rea we realize, you know, that's kind of what's happening today. And so it is applicable, but it's, 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 it's important that we see what's going on. So there were false teachers that started to creep in to the church at Colossae. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing, Paul writes, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And the Apostle Paul is warning believers, listen, you need to be careful because there are grievous wolves out there who won't spare the flock, seeking whom they may devour. And listen, they could come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, they could look and appear a lot of different ways, usually in a very appealing way. And so we need to be careful. These false teachers taught, and, and, and let me go into this a little bit, there was two aspects of the false teaching that was going on. One of them was what we call Gnosticism. For those of you that don't know what Gnosticism is, Gnosticism is the focus and the emphasis on knowledge. Okay? But here's the problem. If you're not getting the full knowledge, and you're not getting the correct knowledge, and you're not getting godly knowledge and wisdom, it is false. And listen, you have a lot of that going on in the world today. You have a lot of that going on in churches today. Um, I've had people ask me over the last two or three years about things that they've heard. They'll say, hey, can I ask you a question? Kids in our school will ask me questions. Um, my own kids will ask me questions, you know, people in the church. And they'll say, hey, can I ask you? And it's things that they've heard, whether it be on the radio, on TV, something they've read, whatever. And it is enough truth that it sounds good and appears to be good, but it is heresy. Knowledge, but not full knowledge, not proper knowledge, not godly knowledge. And we need to be very careful that we don't allow that in our own lives. There's a lot of things out there that sound good. And listen, in today's day and age with the Internet, you can get a sermon anywhere online. But be careful that you don't just get any sermon. You want to make sure that you get someone who's preaching the Word of God. And I'm, listen, I'm not against listening to sermons on, on, on the Internet. I, I'm not against that at all. But I caution you to be very, very careful that what you're listening to is someone or something or that you have discernment to know what you're hearing because there are false teachers out there who want to deceive you. There are false teachers that teach, hey, if you're not being blessed of God, there's something wrong with you. Well, God blesses in a lot of different ways. But it isn't just monetarily. Okay? And that's just the way it is. Okay? And so you, you don't find that anywhere in the scriptures, but there's people that make it sound really good. So we need to be careful. So they had Gnosticism, and there was the other thing, which was asceticism. And basically, that was 
I'll give you the definition and then I'll explain it. It's severe self-discipline. Okay, severe self-discipline, avoidance of all forms of indulgences, usually for religious reasons. You say, well, that doesn't sound bad. If you're avoiding all these indulgences and you're, you're, you're self-disciplining yourself, there's really nothing wrong with that. Well, here's the problem. They were avoiding these indulgences as a means of salvation. They were avoiding these, they, they were inflicting harm on themselves, self-disciplining themselves. So, you know, if they, if they touched something they shouldn't have touched, they would beat themselves so that they wouldn't do it again. Now, listen, I believe wholeheartedly that if the Lord says abstain, that we need to abstain. But I don't find anywhere where we're to inflict self-discipline, severe self-discipline for a purpose of getting any closer to the Lord. That's why we have the grace of God and the, and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. But these two false teachings had crept into the church, and it had infected the church in such a way, and you're going to see in a second, that what they were believing was so out there in left field, you're going to be like, how did they get that far? But listen, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. It only takes a drop of false doctrine. It only takes a drop of, uh, you know, take 98% of truth and sprinkle a little dash of lies in there, a little dash of confusion, and what you have, it absolutely pollutes everything. So here's what was going on. They believed that all matter, now when I say matter, I'm talking about physical matter, okay, things you can see and touch. They believed that all matter was evil, okay? Therefore, if God, who knows no evil, could not possibly have created matter, well, that kind of goes against everything that the Bible speaks about God. It, they take it one step further. Since our physical bodies are matter, and therefore we are evil, God could not have created us. So because of this, they start to punish themselves, asceticism, they start to punish themselves and punishing their bodies in order to save it. Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 20, speaks about this. Colossians 2.20, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, the practices of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And there it is right there. He's saying, hey, why are you, why are you subjecting yourself to this if you know that this is of the world? Verse 21, touch not, taste not, handle not. And there it is. There's the things that they're telling them. Don't touch this. Don't taste this. And they're basically living by a set of rules as opposed to living in the power of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility, and here it is, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you guys have convinced yourself that the way to fix this problem is to follow the rudiments and the ordinance of this world by touching not this, tasting not that, staying away from this. All it became was nothing more than a works type of salvation. But it gets worse than that. Because they felt like their bodies were now evil and not created by God directly, we are now evil, and because we're evil, there is nothing good that we can do to even save ourselves. Therefore, they now have a license to sin. Do you see the progression 
of how things, you know, it takes a little bit of false doctrine. And now you have, well, listen, if we're all evil and there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, then we could just do whatever we want to do because it doesn't really matter. Paul addresses this, and we're going to talk about this, and we read these verses in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 5 through 8. Why would in the middle of him talking about Christ being risen and the preeminence of who Jesus Christ is, all of a sudden say, mortify therefore your members? Because of the fact that they were living according to the ordinances of this world and these practices that they had developed through this false teaching and had gotten away from the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who has the the, the power to save. Jesus Christ is the one who redeemed us. Jesus Christ is the one who restored us. Why are you doing this? It gets worse. These practices developed into a system of doctrine that the only way to get help was through this doctrine. But here's the problem. They had decided that it was a quote-unquote secret kind of doctrine, and it was only made known to a few. And in order to know this particular practice, you had to go through an initiation. Now, I want you to think about, you know, They knew of the power of Jesus Christ and where they, if you read in chapter 1, you see they understood where where their their salvation came from and where they are now and what's going on in the church. So because God did not create us, these false worshipers created these things that some people called aeons, which are nothing more than false angels. That's what they are. They created, made up these things called aeons who must have created man. God couldn't have done it himself. Okay, I want you to think about this. God couldn't have done it himself because God is good and we're all evil. They created these false angels who supposedly created man, and now because they created man, we now have to worship them. Look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Paul is rebuking them very clearly for what, what the doctrine and the things that they're doing. They wanted to worship these false angels as a means of trying to reach God. All these practices and all these things, these means of trying to attain this, this relationship with God absolutely limits and undermines the redemptive work and authority of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul again addresses, and he's very direct in how he deals with it. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For in him, that's Jesus Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Paul doesn't mix his words. He doesn't fool around. He gets right to the point. He says, first of all, okay, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Jesus Christ. Let's address that. The foundation is Jesus Christ. That has not changed. And then he goes on to say, and ye are complete through the angels in yourself because you're, 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 you're you know, um, keeping these indulgences from yourself. No, you are complete in him. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. And so he's very clearly trying to point out to them, listen, you are already complete in him, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, but because of what he did. 
And he's reassuring them and reminding them, listen, these things that you're believing and these things you're following, this is all false doctrine, this Gnosticism. Yeah, knowledge is great, but you've got to have the right kind of knowledge. Okay? Nowhere does it say, listen, there are things that we're supposed to abstain from and we're supposed to keep ourselves from. And, you know, the Bible commands us, be holy for I am holy, but it also doesn't tell us this is your way to get to God. There's a lot of religions out there. Listen, I grew up in that type of of religion where you had to do all these things. You had to follow all these things. You had to adhere to all these things. I didn't understand any of it. We just did it because mom and dad said to do it, and that was it. There was no relationship. There was no understanding. There was no redemption. It was just a matter of doing. It was like doing anything else. It was like getting up in the morning and doing your homework or going to work. It was no different. And Paul is saying, listen, all the God, the, the, the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him. He is God. Listen, what ended up happening was because they felt like that God did not create man, they felt that Jesus was just the highest of all these spiritual beings. Now, I want you to think about this. So how does Paul deal with this? He deals with this by making sure, first and foremost, that they understand who Jesus Christ is. And as believers, listen, we know who Jesus Christ is. Wednesday night crowd. We're here because we want to be here and we want to hear from the Lord. And I get that and that's awesome. But listen, I think too many times, I think we forget and we lose sight. And there's a lot of people in Christianity today who just don't have a full grasp of everything that we are in our Savior. And everything that he desires for us to do. And everything that God can accomplish in us if we're surrendered completely, fully, wholly to him. So let's look at some things. Let's go back to our, our Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at how Paul addresses this. And I love how he, he deals with this. And, it, and it's, you know, the book of Colossians is a short book, but man, Paul gets right to it. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He doesn't say, you know, let's use flowery words. No, no, no. He gets right to it. Verse number 1, if ye then be risen with Christ. The first thing I see is our standing in Christ. Listen, everything else, everything else falls back on the fact that we have to have the right standing with our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have the right foundation. If you're going to build something, you need to have the right foundation. People today don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh from the Father but by him. Nobody wants to hear that. We get called insensitive. We get called intolerant. We get called a lot of things. That's fine. But I always tell people, listen, I didn't say it. God did. Jesus Christ himself said it. I didn't say it. Well, if he said that, then I don't want any part of that. Well, then what are you going to follow? Man? Our standing in Christ. First of all, there's a condition. If ye then. If is a conditional word. So there is a condition here. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ. The first thing that Paul addresses is, listen, you need to know Christ in a personal way. If ye then be risen with Christ, if ye then. The first thing he addresses with them is, you need to have the right relationship with Jesus Christ. And that starts with salvation. Now listen, like I said, I know it's the Wednesday night crowd, and most of us say, we know this, we're already saved. I learned a long time ago, being in youth group, I never took anything for granted. We can sit and assume, well, it's the Sunday night crowd. Of course everybody's saved. I never make that assumption. How many people have we heard about over the years that have said, you know, for 10 years I thought I was saved. And then I realized I really wasn't. 
And so listen, I, 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 I've always felt like no matter what opportunity I have to preach or teach, we always need to teach salvation and, sal- and preach salvation. You say, well, we're already saved. That's okay. It's always good to hear it anyway. It's always good to hear it anyway. I like to hear about salvation. I like to feel that excitement and that joy and remembering what Christ did for me. Our Christian living starts with a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. We can do nothing. Listen, we cannot live the Christian life apart from a foundation built on Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Well, we need to be saved. How are you going to live a Christian life if you're not saved? Well, I go to church. You need to have the right foundation. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Buried with him in baptism. And we know baptism is a picture of what Christ did for us, that he died, was buried, and that he rose again. So Paul here is writing. He's painting the picture for the Colossian believers. He's saying, listen, I'm going to remind you of something. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead? And again, with him through the faith of the operation of God. Remember, they believed that because they were evil, God didn't really create them. Listen, what are you thinking? Listen, the only way that you're buried and risen with him is because of what God did. Because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, Having forgiven you all, having forgiven you all trespasses. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you're risen with Christ, then that means that you are buried just like he was buried and rose again because of what he did. We are in Christ, we are also risen. And he has quickened us, made us alive because of what he did. That's the most important thing. And he's reminding them, listen. Your salvation is not based on how close you think you can get to God. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for you. His redemption, his precious blood, his sacrifice. That's the condition. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6. He says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, again, with Christ. You know why we are alive today? Because we are in Christ. Anything that we could do, it's because we are in Christ. If we have an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, it's because we are in Christ. If we can serve Jesus Christ in any capacity, it's because we are in Christ. Anything apart from that, we can't do anything apart from that. We are in Christ. So all that we are, in Christ. There's so much that God desires to do. Anything that we do for the Lord, it's because we are in Christ. Letter B, not only the condition, but the concentration. In verse number 2 of Colossians 3, it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We need to focus our attention or our concentration on on, on the things that are important. Now, I mentioned this on Sunday night. You know, we allow our attention to get pulled away in a hundred different directions. And that's not profitable for us. We need to focus our attention. And Paul deals with that. He said, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. The word seek means to desire, to have a passion for. 
The only way that we can seek things that are above is because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from that, do, do any of us really believe that we'd be seeking anything from above? Before, before we met the Lord, before, before we trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, did we seek anything from above? <laughs> Listen, I didn't. I sought a lot of things. Not a single one of them was, was, were in the heavenlies, I can tell you that. They were in the pits. And that's a nice way of putting it. He said, seek to desire. Listen, um, uh, Morgan, I don't have his first name. Morgan said this, if we're going to seek, if we're going to seek in order for us to seek those things, what things? The things that are above, our minds must be set on them. What does that mean? Listen, if we're going to seek the things above, our minds have to be set on things above. We can't allow things in our life to be, to be you know, uh, uh, the thoughts and the, and, and the things in our heart to be pulled in a hundred different directions. And all this false teaching that was coming into the church at Colossae had drawn their hearts and their minds away from the things that, that, that God desired for them to do. And Paul is trying to straighten them out. He says, listen, listen, you need to set your mind on heavenly things, and then you seek after those things. In other words, you need to have a desire or a passion for those things. Do we have a passion for the things of God? I mean, really ask yourself, do we seriously have a passion? And I'm not talking about, man, I love to be in church. No, I love to be in church too. I'm not saying no to that. But do we, do we want to see people saved? Oh, of course we do. Do we have a passion for it? Think about the things that we have a passion for. And think about how much energy we put into that. Think about the things that we are the most passionate about. Because our passion for the things above should be greater than any of those things. All our energy, if we have a serious passion about something, okay, whatever it is, it could be a hobby, it could be some kind of entertainment, whatever it is. Okay? And I could tell you over the years what my passions were. Okay, I love music. I've always loved music. Um, as, as, a, as a young man, I loved, I collected music. I collected, all right, I'm going to date myself. Here we go, 45s. Okay, those of you that are like 20, 25 and below, you probably have no clue. 45, is that a gun? No, no. Um, it's not, okay. Um, but I collected all kind of music. That was a passion. And I mean, listen, when, when, when I wanted a song, I would listen to it. I'd go to the record store. Yes, records. Um, and, and all these things. I have a passion for it. I enjoyed it. I loved listening to it. I loved playing music. I loved every aspect of it. It was a passion. That's the kind of passion that we need to have for the Lord and for the things above. Albert Barnes said this, since we are, I think I have, yeah, since we are raised from the death of sin and are made to live anew, the great object of our contemplation should be the heavenly world. Our focus is too often on the, this world. And we need to put our attention on the heavenly world. You say, what does that mean? Read the scriptures. Find out what it is that our Savior was passionate about. I can tell you one of them. It's souls. What else was he passionate about? He was passionate about reaching the hurting. Whether they were saved or whether they were unsaved. Christ always went out of his way to reach those that were hurting. That needs to be our passion. Yeah, but you know, I work, I'm tired, it's been a long day. I know. But is it our passion? Because I have found that if something is our passion, we sacrifice to no end to fulfill that passion, whatever it is. So fulfilling that passion. Then he says, set your affections. Set your affections. 
okay, on things above. Set means to fix on it. So you want to set your affections. You want to have your attention fixed on those things above. Then he has an interesting statement in verse number four, and he says, when Christ who is our life, I'm sorry, verse three, for ye are dead. So in the middle of this, he tells you, hey, look, look, to, look to the heavenlies. Keep your attention on there. And then he says, you're dead. <laughs> That's an interesting thing to put there. The reality of it is, guess what? We are dead. We should be dead. But look what he says after that. You're dead and your life. See, we're dead to sin, but praise God, there's still some life left in us. And that's because we are in Christ. We're to be dead to sin, but alive in Christ. So he says, you're dead. You shouldn't be doing these things. And your life is what? Hid. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, and in, in verse 20, for I am what? Crucified with Christ. For I am crucified with Christ. But look what he says right after that. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, we're dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And that's the way we're supposed to live. Then he says our life is hid with Christ. That word hid gives the idea of, just imagine you have something precious that you want to, you want to save, that you want to protect. It could be anything. It could be jewelry. It could be money. It could be a, a, a diary or a journal, something. You're going to put it someplace where it's going to be safe, maybe in a cabinet, locked, under the bed, in a safe. You know, if you have important papers, where do most of us usually put our important papers? In, in, in a safe deposit box, which means you've got to get through the bank, through the safety deposit vault doors, into the safety deposit box itself. It's, it's safe. That's where our life is hid, in Christ, safe, protected. There's a story of a, I think it was a duke, many, many, many hundreds, hundreds of years ago, who had a steel chest built for himself. And inside this steel chest, he kept all his precious gems, worth a fortune. He didn't want anybody to get them. And so he built this, this had this steel chest built for himself. But here's the thing, with this steel chest, he put all kind of, like, um, I don't know, booby traps, I guess you call them, things that would alarm him if somebody went in there who didn't know how to properly go into the steel chest. I mean, he was adamant about protecting his gems. So anybody who tried to go in there who shouldn't be in there, you know, all kind of warnings and traps and everything else would go off, and he would know, uh-uh, and he would deal with it. Except one day, somebody went into the room behind where his quarters were, where he kept his chest, and figured out that they drilled through the wall or went through the wall where this chest was laying up against. And they broke in through the back of this steel cabinet where he did not have protection. So, I mean, obviously, if somebody lifts the chest door, he had that covered, but he didn't think, any, he didn't think anybody would move this thing. It was made of iron. It was up against the wall. But somebody figured out how to do it, and they took all his gems. Now, listen, our life in Christ is at no peril of being stolen or taken. Because our life is hid with Christ, and it's secure, and it's safe forevermore, because no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, Jesus said. And so we don't have to worry about it. That's how, that's how our life is in Jesus Christ. It's hid. It's protected. So we have the concentration, we have the condition, and we also have the confidence in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. He's reminding them, listen, you have your assurance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17 tells us, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a great promise. What a great assurance. Listen, you don't have to doubt. You don't have to question, because that is a promise. We have the confidence to know that when our life is hid in Christ, you don't have to do all these things. You don't have to hurt yourself. You don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to do all these things, because guess what? Jesus Christ paid it all, and he did it all. It is finished, he said. We don't have to do anything else. And he's reminding these believers, listen, this is false teaching. This is not what you learned. This is not how you got saved. This is all heresy. Number two is our positional change in verses 5 through 14. We already read these verses, but I'm just going to quickly look at them. He starts and he says, mortify therefore your members. Why? Because of this false doctrine, we talked about this before, they had developed a license to sin. And because of that, they basically had the attitude of anything goes. And that's the danger. Listen, when you live a life, and listen, they're, they're, I grew up in that type of religion. Listen, if you do wrong, just somebody will pray for you and you'll be fine. Okay. And listen, as a child, as a teenager, I figured, who cares? Here's the heavenly scales. Here's my bad. Here's my good. As long as this one outweighs this one, I'm good to go. Little did I know that that's not the scale. The scale is me on this side and Jesus on this side. And guess what? I can never balance that scale. But they had to develop this attitude of anything goes. So Paul here gives them two instructions. First, put off the old. You say, well, we already know that. Yeah, but a lot of times we don't live that way. He says, put off the old. Mortify, therefore, your members. That word mortify means to put to death, to make dead. It also means to deprive of power or to destroy the strength of something. Listen, we need to destroy the strength of those things in our life that are driving us to those sinful actions. We need to destroy it. We need to stop, we need to stop um, messing around with it. We need to stop you know, dabbling in sin. We need to destroy its power. I was talking, I mentioned this to some of you. My car went the... Uh, went south on me. Um, turns out the uh, engine is dead, and they have to replace that. But that's okay. It's just an engine. But you know what? When they, when they tried to start that, there was nothing. It was sapped of all its power. That, that thing was not going to start. If Listen, if your battery is dead, your car is never going to start. You could sit there and turn the key or hit that button to start it, and it will never start because you've drained it of all its power. If we sap the power of those things, mortify, kill, destroy, take away all the power from your members, and he gives a list of things that you need to avoid, if you do that, then you won't give in to those sins. Look at some of the things he deals with. By the way, l- let me say this. The other place where this word mortify is used is in Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there, but in verse 13, he says, If we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the, fle- of the body, ye shall live. It's a spiritual battle. Too many times we try and have these victories in our own strength. It will never work. It's a spiritual battle. If ye do mortify the deeds of the flesh in the Spirit, not by yourself. Then he goes on, he says fornication. Fornication is any sexual immorality. And today, 
that is a whole wide ranging of things. Uncleanness, that's impure or lustful living, and it also includes motives, by the way. Inordinate affections, that's depraved, vile passions. Again, look at what's happening today. There's nothing new under the sun. Evil concupiscence, that's destructive or injurious. It's desiring what is forbidden. If the Lord says no, <laughs> then we need to stop desiring it. If it's not ours to take, then we need to stop desiring it. Okay? Listen, King David desired something that was forbidden, and there was a consequence for it. We need to stop desiring those things that are forbidden. Covetousness. It's interesting that all these other sins seem egregious sins. Then he throws covetousness in there. Greedy desire to have more. So, obviously, he looks at this just as seriously as these other things. Sometimes we, we look at covetousness as one of those more acceptable sins. Um, there are no acceptable sins with the Lord. We need to get out of that mindset. The world has convinced us, convinced us that there are acceptable sins. Um, if you can show me one verse in the scriptures where there's an acceptable sin, please do. There are no acceptable sins. Well, it's acceptable to me. I, I, don't, I don't feel as guilty about it. That one's really bad. And you know what we start to do? We start to judge people. Can you believe what he did? Well, you're in pride right now. Yeah, but compared to that, we need to be careful because that's what will happen. Then he sums it up and he tells them, listen, the old man is dead. Put off the old man with his deeds at the end of verse 9. And we don't have time to go through all these verses, but Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. Uh, and uh, where's the other verse? And Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 8. I'm going to read 5 verse 8. This is what he says. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Listen, we were in the darkness, but because of Christ, because we're in Christ, we're now in the light. Walk as children of light. We need to walk as children of the King. People need to see us and say, yeah, that's a Christian. But a lot of times they don't. Then he goes on, he says, put on the new. Back in Colossians, and we'll be done with this part quick. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. How do you put on the new man? He's renewed in knowledge. Okay, Romans chapter 12 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not, what, conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. How does it start? We need to renew the things that are in here. Listen, Many of us got saved later on. There's a lot of junk up here. And I don't even say that kidding around. Listen, I know in my life there was a lot of junk. There still is a lot of junk. There's things that pop into my mind from 10 years ago that I'm like, where did that even come from? How are we going to get that out of there? By renewing our mind in the Word of God. That's the only way that's going to happen. That's the only way that's going to happen, by putting on the new. He says, renewing knowledge after the image of him that created him. We have Christ as our example. And that's the example we need to follow. Listen, it's easy. I, see, I watch teenagers all the time. I watch kids. They follow after anybody who's on TV, who's popular, internet sensations, all of these things. And we follow after all that. But where are the people that are following after Jesus Christ, who are looking at Christ as the example and say, I want to be like that? There was a time when that was a good thing. It was normal to go out on Sunday afternoon and people knew you came from church. Now people see you in a suit, they think you're coming from a funeral. 
I can tell you in the last five years, I've had more people tell me I'm either coming from a wedding or a funeral than church. That's sad. And I'm not saying that a suit makes you any more spiritual than anything else. All I'm saying is we need to walk in the image of him who saved us. Then he goes on in, in the rest of the verse contrasting what he just said about the, the works of the flesh. And he says, put on, the, therefore, as, as the elect of God, verse 12, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. We need to show kindness one to another. I know when it says put on the Lord Jesus Christ or put on bowels of mercy, it's really talking about a figurative kind of thing. But let me tell you something. We need to demonstrate kindness, humbleness, meekness, love, compassion, we're, we're so quick, and, and I'm there. <laughs> Believe me, I'm there. I shared the story with you when I, when I had the situation with my car, and I was ready to defend myself, and I did to a certain point. And that's what we're always ready to do, ready to fight. Oh, really? You said what? Let's go. And we need to just show love and humbleness and meekness sometimes and say, no, I want to demonstrate the character of Christ. And then the last thing, number three, is our power in Christ. And I'll just go through this real quick. Letter A uh, is the peace of God. Do you know in verse number, let's see, where is it? In verse 15, it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word rule is the idea like, like an umpire in a baseball game. You know, the umpire, he's the one who has rule over the game. His word goes. His decisions stand. You know, we need to le let the peace of God be the things that's deciding in our heart how we act, how we deal with things. See, when I got upset last week about that situation, if I had the peace of God right at that moment, I think I would have reacted a little bit differently. And I think a lot of times we all would. If we just allow the peace of God, let, it says, and let the peace of God, allow, permit, let the peace, listen, the peace of God is there. Let the peace of God work in our hearts in any situation. Psalm 29, 11 says, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with money? No, with peace. The Lord will bless, peace is not a blessing. See, we look at blessings way differently than the Lord does. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Again, there it is, that idea of renewing your mind. How do we have power? We have power when we have peace. Why? Because guess what? When we have peace in our heart, we don't allow the flesh to take over and us to react angrily or to make decisions in the flesh. We let the peace of God rule in our hearts. The next thing he says is let the word of God dwell in you. Dwell means to take up a permanent residence. We need to let the word of God be the thing that's driving our decisions, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our everything we do. Why? The Bible says in Hebrews 4, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Listen, it's the word of God that's going to change us. We may not like it, and sometimes it hurts. That's okay. That's okay. Because if we're going to be changed, it's going to hurt. It's like if you go for an exercise. Have anybody ever tried to go to the gym at any point in their life? I, listen, I've tried this about a half a dozen times, okay? And, and you know, once you get going, it's great. But we, I, I always have this mentality, like, well, it's been two years since I've been there. And then you go to the gym, and then you think to yourself, I've only been away for two years. How bad can this be? Well, and the guy at the gym always says this, you want to start slow. And I'm like, okay. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, as soon as you turn your back, I'm going to do what I want to do, which I do. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, well, I'm not going to lift 20 pounds. These guys are over here with, like, you know, eight, 800 pounds. And I'm like, pfft. What am I, a sissy? It's like when you go skiing, Bunny Hill. I'm not going down the Bunny Hill. I'm going down the Black Diamond. That's what I'm doing. 
real men go down the black diamond. Then you come down, you're in like a, like a stretcher. So you go to the gym and you sit there, you're like, I got this. And you're sitting there, you're breaking your back. You're like, well, I'm good, I got this. Then you get home and you can't walk. I, did, I remember doing this. I went to the gym and a buddy of mine said, we're going to work out legs today. I said, great. So we're doing all the leg exercises. And I had to go home and shower and I had to go to work. And I used to take the subway. At some point between the shower and the time I got to the subway, something happened to my legs. I kid you not, I took a step and I didn't feel it right away. I almost went down the whole flight of stairs. My legs felt like noodles. I was like, it was embarrassing. People are like, is he drunk? What is going on with this guy? I'm like, I'm okay, I slipped. The whole, I'm like, and as I got to work, I'm like in agony. Why? Because when you're getting back into shape, it hurts. Listen, the word of God, when it changes us, sometimes it's going to hurt. But it's a good hurt. Because you know what? God is changing us, molding us into the people he wants us to be. And the last thing is our actions. Our actions. We need to have the right motive. Colossians 3.23, at the end of this chapter, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. It needs to be done unto the Lord. Anything we do in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether in word or deed, we do all to what? The glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was dealing with a lot of stuff. Doctrine was messed up, all kind of stuff. But you know what he did? He said, listen, let's go back to the basics. Let's remember, let's remember who Jesus Christ really is. He's not the highest of some group of spiritual beings. Okay, He is preeminent. He is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who keeps you. You are complete in him, and you can do only anything that you can do is in him. Let's get that right. And then he says, now let's fix some of these other things. Mortify your members and put on the new man. Who's the new man? The new man that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do. Listen, there's a lot of false teachings. There's a lot. People are saying, listen, I, I used to have people at work, oh, come on, you can, you can come with us. You know, they used to have Christmas parties, and I used to avoid them. And they used to call me all kind of names, prude, and all this other stuff. And they're like, you could just come. Just come and have dinner. But you know, in the back of my mind, I was saying to myself, no, because I know there's going to be alcohol there. There's going to be all kinds. And once you start, they, they start, first of all, I didn't want to be anywhere near it. But once they start drinking, then their language starts to go. And I was like, I don't want any part of that. Now, it's easy to have somebody convince you and say, it's okay. Come on, what's the big deal? It is a big deal. Because we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And he has, listen, we, we are so much more than we allow ourselves to be in Christ. It's, listen, I have no concept of everything that Christ can do in us. I can't. I can't even begin to imagine. But I know it's greater than what I can even imagine. And because of my sinfulness and, 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 you know, flesh, I prohibit that sometimes. But, man, I want to know. I, wa I want to see everything that we can be in Christ Jesus. Not in my power. I have no strength. As I get older, somebody said to me the other day, I'm like the bionic man. It's true. Um, I mentioned it before. Some people, some, I told the teachers at our last staff meeting, I, some, some people go on vacation after school is over. I go in for my annual surgery. So... Um, <laughs> Maybe next year it'll be a shoulder. I, I don't know. And, and for those of you, again, under the age of 25, you have no idea who the bionic man is. That's okay. Those that are laughing, have a, they know. So, um, listen, God wants to do great things in us. But it has to be in him. 
It can't be apart from him. It, Jesus Christ is not some highest teacher. No, he is the Savior and the Messiah. And we need to live in light of that power. Amen. We need to go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Anything that we need to, let me just grab a pen real quick. Anything we need to add to the...